0: This is The Guardian.
1: Hello and welcome to The Guardian Football Weekly. The dogs of war return to Goodison. Frank Lampard's men channel their inner Barry Horn. Graham Stewart and Neville Southall to fight off Chelsea and give their survival chances a massive boost. That after Burnley had pulled off a stunning late turnaround against the sunglasses of Roy Hodgson the evening before. Watford are surely down along with Norwich who are mathematically down while Leeds are sucked in after getting hammered by Manchester City. They're still a point ahead of Liverpool in the title race. And it's as you were in the race for fourth place. Spurs need some brilliance from Sun and Arsenal do just enough at West Ham. Also today, lots of seasons are finishing at the same time. So lots of things are happening. Coventry women score a belter. Carlo Ancelotti smokes a cigar. There's lots of EFL, your questions. And that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Jonathan Wilson, welcome.
2: Morning, how are you doing?
1: I am very well, thanks very much. Robin Cowan, hello.
3: Good morning, Max.
1: And hello, Johnny Lou. Hello. Uh, David says, showing your dedication to the Europa League, lads. Max couldn't be asked to plug in his microphone. Baz didn't even turn up. You wouldn't do that for a Champions League pod, Rushton. Maybe Barry was right to stay in the pub after all, given your lax leadership of this ship. Yes, apologies again for failing to plug in the microphone. We believe it's plugged in today, so... Uh, fingers crossed. If not, uh, the other three will be in high quality audio. Let's start a good as St. Everton one, Chelsea Nil. I mean, the atmosphere was wild. And Bob says, has the pod ever considered setting off fireworks outside the houses of the football ramble presenters the night before they record? Um, it sort of doesn't that whole thing about fireworks and and just sort of shits housing the opposition before the, you know, before the game, Johnny, It sort of it feels very southern european to me it doesn't feel you know it's it's not what happens on these shores but I, I actually did find it quite entertaining watching the videos even if i probably can't say it's a good idea
0: yeah i mean I, it, it feels like a one of those pieces of, of football culture that that, that we've imported and, and quite successfully so i think i, I love it personally I, I can't can't get enough of smoke bombs fire canisters fireworks bouncing bombs, uh, you know, whatever whatever they can you know, they're allowed to bring into a football stadium or um, or set off on the perimeter, uh is, is fine by me. And and yeah, there was fireworks on the pitch as well to to, to borrow a Gerald Stinstadt, you know, line from from Match of the Day. Yeah, I, it it was just one of those afternoons where you, you realise that Everton are probably probably gonna be all right. How many times have we seen like a team just kind of slide into relegation and just kind of almost acquiesce to it like there's this deep depression that set in and Everton to you know their credit and to, to Lampard's credit I guess have not they've not been like they they have not succumbed to to their inevitable fate they they've fought and they've shown some teeth and and I think that that was all on show in in what was you know quite a famous afternoon I think if you're an Everton fan you know you'll, you'll remember that if you stay up
1: I think Robin one of the most annoying phrases on a Sunday league football pitch is when the opposition yell, they don't want it. <laughs> and you sort of feel, you know, Everton haven't necessarily wanted it recently, but they really wanted it. And it makes me feel like elite sport should be more than just that. But but it felt like they won because they really wanted to win yesterday. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, no, I hate that phrase as well. I got to say, um, Johnny says they weren't accepting their fate. It felt like like against Burnley they kind of almost were sliding into that sort of mindset but i think the the performance against liverpool even though they didn't get the result just being absolute bastards and being really really physical and and quite violent at times really i think that that's helped them and then they carried that over to chelsea and because chelsea were a little bit more passive they managed to actually get a goal and and do a little bit more than they managed to get against liverpool no this was a really impressive because i honestly thought they were gone they were they were sliding towards relegation it looked like they completely had no confidence no spirit um looked like frank lampard just couldn't galvanize them he tried the the stick the carrot everything but this this really does feel like okay actually they can stay up now I'm always a bit cynical when you when you talk about the crowd and the, the 12th man and all that stuff, but it felt like that really helped yesterday, actually.
2: My only sort of caveat to this, and you know, they they they, they played well and they you know they, they got the result and there was clear signs of fight and the fact that the crowd was so clearly on board, all of that's hugely positive. But I sort of felt something a little bit similar after they beat Newcastle at that last-minute goal. And I do wonder what happens when they go away from home, where the big problems have been. So, given they were five points behind, you felt there was a game they had to win just to get back in touch. And the fact that they've done that is clearly positive for them. However, you know, let, let's see if they can actually pick up a point away from home now. And Chelsea, I thought, I don't know what's gone wrong with Chelsea. They, it, it's sort of like they've fallen back into exactly the same problems at the end of last season, where they just don't have any sort of imagination or, or punch in front of the goal. And obviously, Lukaku was meant to provide that and just hasn't. And then you know they're back to playing that same three of, of Mount Vernon and Havertz, and I think against teams who sit deep, it doesn't really have enough uh, guile to, to to unpick opponents.
1: Thomas Tuchel said afterwards, Johnny, that you know he he wanted a referee or a referee that you know clamped down on the evil physicality of Everton. Did you did you see any of that? I mean, it was a physical game. Everton were quite physical, but. Does does cool does he have a leg to stand on with that? Yeah, yeah. I mean,
0: and without wishing to sound like a you know an ex pro on on talks boy, it is it is kind of a, a physical game. It's a, it's it's a contact sport, and I thought Chelsea were were quite. I don't know that they did look a bit fey. And you know the, the great Chelsea teams uh, of of the recent past and and you know the more ancient past were you know they've always been able to hold their own physically. What Wilson was talking about with with Chelsea going forward, I think Reese James was a big was. I mean. <laughs> He didn't like when when they play that front three. It's kind of okay if you've got the fullback, if you've got the wingbacks providing width and having that five across the front. And, and I thought James, especially, wasn't just he, he didn't really do that. He he looked like a guy who had been he didn't fucking want it, did he? he just didn't want it. <laughs> <laughs> well, he looked he looked like a guy who spent most of the season injured, and so he he, he was playing the ball. I, th- well, I to my mind, a lot earlier. Than he normally does, and playing it sideways, playing it, playing it backwards a lot more than he normally does, and I, I and I wondered whether that was partly because he's he's just worried about about getting getting hit again. You know, the, his whole game is is playing the ball late in almost inviting contact, and if you've been going through, you know, if you've been spending the season you know on and off the treatment table, maybe you're you're not going to want to do that so much. Maybe you you do want to get rid of it a little bit earlier, and I think that that kind of had a it was one of the things that had a, had a knock-on effect in how Chelsea. Uh, looked going forward.
1: Mark says, is it finally time for a moratorium, if that's the right word on the Pope quote, Pickford hasn't let England down yet, but he's dodgy for evidence, shouts. That was almost worthy of a Neville Southall performance today. I mean, that save, Robin, was extraordinary, mainly because he almost ran too far and then he's got to dive back. If he just stayed still, he could have caught it, but he had to go all that way. It was sort of incredible and you see foot goalkeeper, whenever you watch goalkeepers training, that's all they're doing is getting up and saving another shot. And then it never really happened in a game. That was an amazing save.
3: Oh, I mean, yeah, that, that sounds awful, by the way, what they have to do in training. That just, it sounds so boring. Um, but yeah, I, I think that that's lit, honestly one of the best saves I've ever seen. Absolutely incredible. And I know the, the goalkeepers union, in particular like the one where he just took it full on in the face. But you could see just generally Jordan Pickford, I think as a sort of... Purist, you don't. He is quite. He's a showman, isn't he? So he's great for the neutral. I loved watching him yesterday. He was in his element, G-ing up the crowd. They all were actually, and you could see he was really enjoying himself.
1: Did you think that the strut after that save was a little too like it was almost it was too a little too peacock? No, no, I like it. Fair enough.
3: No, take the shirt off, whirl it round the head. You know that that's next, isn't it? No, he's great, and this I don't know. His slicked back haircut just makes it look like he's sort of yeah strutting into a nightclub, doesn't he? It's he's just great. He's great to watch, and I, I do think actually this season, although my memory isn't great, he's been pretty good. Although I do have a theory, perhaps he's one of those goalkeepers that I think a bit like David De Gea, where when he's busy, he's better. It's when he's kind of got one or two things to do, maybe he struggles a bit. But I mean, fair play to him. that It was incredible yesterday. Goldie
1: says, "What? why is relegation for a big club? Why is it reported and viewed in such... Uh, someone has died kind of way. Football will still happen for them. Supporters may see their team win more than they lose. Fans will have a lovely old time. The apocalyptic vibe around it baffles me. There is a truth in that, Johnny, isn't there? That, that you know, when it is a team that you don't expect to get relegated, it suddenly becomes sort of deathly compared to, well, Watford are going down again.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose it's akin to, to almost like a retirement or uh, of an individual athlete. And, and I think because... The- <laughs> Like sport works on, on ritual, doesn't it? It works on you know familiar tropes and and you know Everton being in the top flight, like just like Coventry being in the top flight for, for thirty years or, or how many many years it was until they were relegated. you know people people you know set their watch by these things. and there's absolutely no guarantee
2: you do win more games, can I say from personal experience <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: um, We'll get on to Everton's fixtures when we' we'll do them with Burnley and Leeds and, and look at the relegation situation. Just a quick question on Chelsea. Uh, Wilson. They've got Wolves leads Leicester Watford. You know they do have well they're three points ahead of Arsenal aren't they? I mean th- th- there is a tiny chance they drop out of the top four this season but it's unlikely. But then you look at Rudiger's leaving, Christensen's leaving. That uncertainty, You talk about the uncertainty at Everton. There is huge uncertainty at that football
2: club. Yeah I mean I have I, I heard about this before they played Palace in that FA Cup semi. I'm not sure it's quite sunk in yet, just how uncertain their future is. You sort of assume, well, a big club, of course, a big club. We've been a big club for, you know, a club that challenges regularly for titles for, for 20 years. And you sort of think that's a permanent state of being. But whoever the new owners are, and maybe the Jim Ratcliffe bid slightly changes this, but, you know, whichever of the new owners ended up being selected it's going to be somebody who's in it for profit not somebody who's in it for reasons that aren't profit who's going to just give you 1.5 billion pounds and particularly when your stadium is not huge and is difficult to redevelop that places financial limitations on you and that probably means you're not a not necessarily a regular top 4 team plus i yeah you know, who knows what happens this summer that they uh you know, there's various obvious personalities so yeah, Rudiger Christensen, not quite sure what's going to happen with Azpilicueta's contract because he does have that year's extension, which I think they, they can trigger. But they've also got uh, Kante, who's 31 and Jorginho's 30, and their contracts expire in the summer of 2023. So ideally, you'd be looking to move on at least one of them. And you might think, OK, well, Ruben the cheek is now playing well, and if he can stay fit, they've got Gallagher, will come back from Crystal Palace. Maybe that's not a position where they need to worry. But somebody needs to be planning for this. And I, I don't even know whose job that is now to plan for it. I don't know what plans they 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 can have. So they they they. It's unlikely, but they they really could fall out of top four. And if I haven't got Champions League football next season, well, that plus the uncertainty suddenly does put them in a you know a, a difficult situation, and certainly a difficult situation if they're trying to convince players to stay.
1: Uh, let's go to Vicarage Road. Watford one, Burnley two. I mean, I only want to talk about Roy Hodgson's sunglasses. So they were absolutely tremendous. But let's uh, talk about the game first. Richard Jolly of the independent. Congratulations on your new job, Richard. His stat, Michael Jackson has only been in charge of Burnley since the 15th of April and already has more Premier League points than any Watford manager has taken this season. He's had 10, has got seven, Ranieri six, and Hodgson nine. And it was a brilliant comeback, Robin, wasn't it? And you could just see once they got that first one, you just thought this is kind of inevitable.
3: Yeah, but it's just Watford, man. You know they can't can't hold on to a lead. <laughs> I mean, it's ex- basically exactly what happened with Brentford, wasn't it? The Brentford game, they were leading, couldn't can capitalise. I mean, for a Burnley perspective, I, I think yeah, I hold my hands up. I thought the sacking of Sean Dyche was a terrible decision, but actually, it seems like a, a good one, especially maybe just in the short term. Um, they they're playing with a bit more freedom. You see, you know the fullbacks coming forward a little bit more stuff like that but uh, I just hope they don't fall into the trap because I I think what might happen is that they give Mike Jackson the job they have a terrible start to next season and he's sacked after November and they they start you know doing the the sort of managerial merry go round a bit but yeah more importantly Roy Hodgson looked glorious didn't he he looked like he was having a great time, and I know that he, he it like,
1: was sort of Tony <laughs> Soprano like. I yeah. thought He looked like the guy you just look at the back and go, "He is the one who decides who lives and who dies." But That's
3: it. And th- yeah, he, he sent Ray Lewington to do his um, to do the post match, and I think he did the pre match as well. So he's like, he's just he doesn't care. Moment. No, he doesn't give a shit. <laughs> I, I, just, I think it's great, honestly. I think it's great, and he didn't even. Do you know what, he didn't even make a sub during that game? He's just given up. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: a fair play to Roy he just said nah can't do anything now it'd be great if he did the post-match and just asked a question you know Jonathan Pearce asked him an earnest question about losing Alini. he just goes I don't give a shit and then um, carries on I sort, of, I sort of thought about doing a Roy Hodgson impression and then didn't um, Johnny can it be as simple as Burnley of just you know someone said you know Sean Dice had put a very heavy handbrake on all the players and Mike Jackson has just lifted
0: it and that is it it can't be that simple can it I'm struggling to think. I'm to think of what else it might be. To be honest, if you if if you looked at how how they were playing under under Sean Dyche, it was. I mean, it, it wasn't it wasn't handbrakey so much as, as totally rooted, totally moored, and, and they were making silly errors as well. And since since he's departed, you know, there have, there's been all these kind of uh, you know, little rumours and 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 snippets about how he wasn't. You know, it, it wasn't really a very happy camp under him. That he had maybe lost the the confidence of a, of a lot of the squad quite quite a while ago, um, which which might explain why uh, they they look so liberated now. Because you know Burnley have always you know, they've always had the players to be able to play this this sort of football. You know Aaron Lennon, we, we we've all seen what he could do. We, you know we've all seen what, what Maxwell Corday can do or, or Dwight McNeil, and they they finally seem to be. Um, I don't know. It's, they, they talk about a vibe shift, right? They've, they've had a vibe shift, and sometimes it, it's, it can be when, when, you're, op, when you're operating in a very, very high level of a very, very high level game. Sometimes it really can just take something as, as simple as you know a different guy writing the you know the messages, the motivational messages on the whiteboard in the dressing room. Yeah, footballers are, are weird people. Like, like we are all weird people, and we run off kind of strange motivations and. and yeah, they've had a vibe shift. That is my analysis.
1: 11 consecutive losses for Watford at Vicarage Road. Before Saturday, the only side in the top four tiers of English football to have lost more than 10 consecutive home league games were Rochdale, who suffered 14 straight defeats in Division Three North between 1931 and 1932. Wilson, what can you tell us about the Dale side of the early 30s? Oh, they were dark
2: days, dark days. <laughs>
1: <laughs> anyway, look, uh, it was a huge win for Everton. Huge win for Burnley. Uh, We'll get on to the Leeds game um, when we talk about the title race. But if you look at their run-ins, Everton go to Leicester and then to Watford, home to Brentford Palace and then away to Arsenal. Burnley are home to Villa, away to Spurs, away to Villa, home to Newcastle. Leeds go to Arsenal, home to Chelsea, home to Brighton, away to Brentford. I appreciate that's quite a lot of teams that you've just been told in a list and you may not remember anything I've said. But Robin, who do you think is going out of those three? Oh,
3: that's a really tricky one because it, it feels like they all have winnable games on paper, but then on paper, on, on grass, they haven't actually been winning them. So it's, it, it's tricky. I I think I, I'm most worried at the moment about Leeds, I'd say, just because they, they have no depth I mean, we'll get onto it, but they suffered another really bad injury. Stuart Dallas is out, and he's a huge player for them. No Bamford. I think uh, Cooper also was uh, was injured ahead of that game against City. So I just think, in terms of their momentum, their squad depth, that I think it might be them who slip in. I just,
0: just, I would just, just you know, go through those those fixtures. I think, well, actually, you know, a lot of those teams don't have a lot to play for. You know, Leicester, Palace, Brentford. You know, they Newcastle. They don't have a lot to play for. And I think, it, well. Yeah, because most of the most of the club, the only real clubs in the in the Premier League with anything to play for are the top two and those three now. Um, so, I, I don't know. I, these things shift in the space of a of a couple of weeks. It, you know, we, we've seen how how Everton's narrative can can just shift so so wildly in a, in a couple of weeks. I think Leeds, and, and and that's just based based on the fact that their fixtures are are horrific. I don't I, I don't think the Jesse Marsh effect is going to it's going to last them until the end of the season with the injuries that they have and the, the thinness of the squad that they have. I, I, don't think, I don't think they've got the players and I don't think they've got the luck at the moment
2: either. So probably them at the
0: moment.
1: Are you making it a clean sweep, Wilson?
2: Yeah, I, th- I think I am. I mean, it's, it's those two guys. I mean, Chelsea have been playing badly recently, so maybe that's not quite as such a tough fixture as it looks. But the fact they've got Arsenal and Chelsea still to play, I also just sort of think there's a danger that they thought they were out of it and suddenly... The last couple of games, they got dragged in, and you're getting getting beat four 0 by City. Is and they played pretty well in that game. Yeah, you know, it was it was one of the better four 0 defeats you'll see. Do you think actually
1: they've got time? You know, because they thought they were safe, but now they know they're not safe, and they've still got a little bit of time. It's you just don't want to think you're safe after 37 and a half games. That's the the time.
2: Yeah, exactly. I I think psychologically, that's a very. I mean, does that matter? I don't know. Because yeah, you know, Johnny's right. These things change. So on, on Saturday night, I'd have said Everton without question. Um, yeah. Even at half time yesterday, I'd have said Everton. And then, you know, the Charleston scores that goal, and you, oh, they're going to be fine. Um, but you know, if, if Everton's away form remains terrible, yeah, I could flip flop back again. But uh, yeah, having having thought Leeds were out of danger, I now, I now fear for them again.
1: Uh, let's uh, end part one by just uh, consigning Norwich to the Championship, which I think we probably did. Before the season started, they lost two 0 at Aston Villa. Third successive time Norwich have been immediately relegated following promotion to the Premier League. Um, uh, Joe tweeted a video of Dean Smith saying, "We'll be back," and said, "Repeat this interview in two years' time. Who do you think will be making it?" That uh, like, sounds like a good fun game for the pod. I reckon Gary Rowett. Do, how do we view what Norwich have done this season, Johnny? Do we just think actually it's totally fine? You know, they or they should the next time they're up then they should go wild and spend loads of money or just
0: carry on this existence. It's not a terrible existence. Every season's a bit different. Like a few, a few weeks ago, I think I was quite harsh on them, you know, and, you know, I think I called them a waste of time or something. I
3: believe you said they were pointless, I think. <laughs>
0: yeah, pointless. And
3: I've,
0: I've been thinking about this a bit more in the last few weeks. I mean, what are they supposed to do? I mean, do, are they supposed to just kind of uh, bankrupt themselves and have a massive go and spend millions and millions for our entertainment Probably not. That's not their prerogative. I think I think it is kind of, it, it, it does look, it's a really bad look for the Premier League and for, for football in general. When you have teams like Norwich, Fulham, you know, you could probably throw West Brom in there as well. Uh, and, and Watford, who are so clearly in between, you know, we, we, we've created a whole cadre of Rob Hulse, Clinton Morrison clubs. That, that just aren't good enough. That, that, that don't really fit in either division, and that's that's clearly a problem with the financial model of football itself. That you, you know, the, the 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 golf, you know, the top of the Premier League and the bottom of the Championship, and I've, I've just been kind of stretched out to such a degree that you now have this this whole cadre of clubs that just fall into the middle, and and the. The limit of their ambitions is maybe to have a decent season and finish fifteenth in the Premier League on one year. That's that is a wider structural issue, and norwich not much hard to blame for that. Ad says, "Are we going to
1: address Steven Gerrard's see-through jumper? He wore it last week too. I love the man. I'm all for dressing with flair, but it's a little bit Richard Fairbrass, and I, and I don't know if Stevie is sexy enough. Uh, Robin, you're looking confused. You're not. Re- it's kind of. It's a very." Uh, it was blue but it was right it was kind of see-through you could see the shirt and the the tie oh I think he did you, have he
3: had something under it
1: hopefully. yes I think <laughs> if if he had nothing under it I think that would be Jordan
3: less Pickford acceptable Pickford in the nightclub again
1: yeah so. I think it would be um, well thank you Ad we'll, we'll keep a lookout we'll keep you we'll, we'll keep tabs on Stephen Gerrard's knitwear uh, that'll do for part one uh, part two we'll start uh, with Man City's 4-0 win at Leeds Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Um, come to see us live, please. Uh, the live tour is happening in June and July, 13th of June in Leeds, 15th in Birmingham, 19th in Manchester, uh, 4th and 5th of July in Dublin. The 5th is sold out. At the Hackney Empire in London on the 8th and 9th of July, Glasgow on the 13th of July. Um, Hi, Max and Barry, says Chris. I noticed in the last weekday pod, Max mentioned that LA and New York were on the 2023 schedule. I would like to suggest a show in Chicago as well. I've been listening to you since I was a kid back in the 80s and feel like you owe your American fans more than this. Hoping for a Midwest show to shake off the allegations of anti-American bias and coastal elitism. If you do come to Chicago, I'd be happy to buy a round of Malor. I don't know what that is for the whole panel. So I uh, love the pod, Chris. All right, let's go to uh, let's go to Chicago. Wilson,
2: you in? Uh, if, if selected yeah.
1: okay fine Rachel says I promise to buy a ticket to Football Weekly in LA whenever you come but it'll be especially sweet to hear you talk about Nottingham Forest when they're hopefully back in the Premier League next year it'll be worth the four hour drive uh, we've got lots and lots of emails from Australians that want us to come and do a tour there so listen it's all part of the plan but only I have the plan currently so I need somebody to sign off on the US Australia tour for next year uh, Leeds nil, Manchester City 4 Robin what did you make of this one
3: Jonathan alluded to it earlier. It, Leeds played really well and this is the frustrating thing is that City did not look great and then disappointing concession of the first with first two set pieces I think so not great yeah, from it from yeah. a Leeds point of view but they yeah they played really well took the game to man city i think they've caused them a few problems in in the past as well but yeah city just just roll on. Uh, Jesus looks in great form um you know really good uh, finish and Phil Foden, the couple of assists, you know, it's just, yeah, they can play badly and still win 4-0. So it's just it's just not fair, really, is
2: it? I think the point about set plays is fascinating because I, th- I think the stat is City have scored from 17 set plays a season only conceded from one. And like, that's just cheating. You can't be really good on the ball, passing the ball about mm. nicely, having 98% possession and scoring from corners. You can't do everything. And you sort of
1: think actually that every football team should be both good at scoring from them and good at defending them right you do it all the time but you know it can't just be luck right because sometimes I do feel listen the corner comes in or the free kick comes in and if it's the right run at the right time it doesn't really matter how closely you're marking someone it's just that person's head is there but it can't be luck right if you're scoring if if, if that is
0: what City are doing of course they have more free kicks and corners than their opposition I wonder if if teams kind of Switch off a little bit, you know, subconsciously. When when you give away a corner against a City, you've probably had to do so much backs to the wall defending to get to that point, and and you think, okay, we're gonna have a little breath now. We'll, just, we'll you know we'll clear the corner because obviously that's what we'll do, and uh, and then you know we'll set ourselves up again, and and then that's when they hit you. Maybe that's that's what's going on.
2: But now it, it seems like has somehow found time to do that, um, even though I mean I suppose he does have. Players like Stones and Laporte and Diaz who are, and Rodri who are who are big, but you still think of a typical Manchester City player being about five foot four and incredibly technically gifted with a low center of gravity, so it just feels wrong i just I just I'm, I, I don't like it
0: they did i mean a few a few years ago they they appointed a, a set piece coach called nicholas Jover, who's um I, th- I think he went to Arsenal in the summer uh, Arsenal poached him, and, and I don't know if they've replaced him yet, but he he had a, a really big effect on their set of pieces. Um, number of goals they scored from corners and, and free kicks. Um, so, I mean, they, they've been... It's, it's an area they've been looking at for a while,
2: I think. And Arsenal got two goals from set pieces as well. So, yeah, what did. a time to be, Nicholas, you're there.
1: <laughs> um, uh, Jesse Marsh, what seems harsh, Robin, is he seems to have done really well, right? You know, they're, they're playing well. I think they, they didn't win when he first got there, but they're playing well. They're getting points. They've actually had on a decent run. And you just sort of think that is not fair, is it? And he's and he's got the fans on side, which is really difficult given, you know, who, who he's followed. Yeah, I mean, life isn't fair, but it's specifically not fair for Jesse Marsh if they don't survive.
3: Yeah, and I actually, I did their game against Wolves when they were 2-0 down and 1-3-2 and you thought, okay, here we go. You know, this is a statement win. And yeah, it's, I don't know, it, I don't know enough about Jesse Marsh, but it seems like he's not changed an awful lot from the sort of style. Again, we, we should mention that he's really I think he's really hamstrung by these injuries. Like they've got just got no no depth at all. They still seem quite gung-ho, which is probably why Manchester City did manage to pick them off with a couple of goals that weren't set pieces as well. So I mean yeah, I think it's uh, we, we went through their running. It, yeah no again yeah life just isn't fair it's not fair today is it it's uh, <laughs> he's been
0: trashing like the Bielsa blueprint a little bit he's been he's been kind of you know dissing his um his predecessors fitness regime he said he basically said he overtrained them a couple of weeks ago that the reason they had so many injuries was because Bielsa was overtraining them which I, I thought was yeah. Maybe, maybe his, um, his 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 assessment. But uh, I thought I was a bit of a strange thing to say because there there is this kind of unspoken code.
1: Well, is that no, no But it isn't. No, normally, every manager comes in and says these lads aren't fit, <laughs> and you go, well, this it can't be every time. But this is the first time a manager's come out and said these lads are too fit. They're they're, they're too fit for yeah, the Premier man. League. Uh, um, so look, City then one point clear of Liverpool at the top, Liverpool 1-1 at Newcastle. Uh, Wilson, you were there. Did you have a nice time?
2: Uh, I did. I mean, I confess I spent quite a lot of the time checking League One scores. And then Fine. finally when Plymouth, down 10 men, went 4-0 down, I was confident that the seven goals would have been necessary across four different games for someone not to be in the playoffs were not going to happen. Uh, and I looked up and there was about three minutes to go and uh, yeah, Liverpool seemed the better side, but it was still quite tense. So do your match report then should people of all your match reports
1: would this be the least well, was a, be was, the least attention to detail? It was a colour sidebar. Can you explain what that
2: is to listeners who don't know what a colour sidebar is. You'd have the match report and then you'd have a piece going alongside, it's picking out the theme of the game. And yours
3: was checking your phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: Uh, well, thankfully, Richard Jolly, who we mentioned earlier, gave me the excellent idea of comparing the two captains, uh, Henderson and Shelby. Who both scored in Kenny Dalglish's last home games. Liverpool manager four one win over Chelsea in 2012, when they you know they, it looked like that could be the, the long term future of Liverpool midfield. And I, you know, I think just the way their, their respective careers have gone. Uh, you know, I think you just said back then that, that Shelby. I mean Shelby is um, three years younger, I think, but Shelby looked the more graceful, more polished player. He looked, you know, he looked the more the more naturally talented. And then, I mean, this is just repeating my column, but you, you quite often ask me to come on radio and do that. So I'm just going to do that now. Well, no, I'm just going to say, it, it, the, the thing you really glean from this is, it's a column you could write without
1: watching this football match, isn't it? Please don't
3: say
1: And I specifically want to talk about this football match. That's sort of this bit of this podcast is talking about this football match. But although it's an interesting point you make.
2: I, 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 well, I, I sort of think there's a thing... Um, Mike Atherton wrote when Mark Granvikash retired, uh, pointing out we talk about talent, meaning the thing that looks graceful and good, and Atherton, there was obviously a bit of irritation that, that was um, underlay it, and Atherton was saying that his his talent was his ability to to shut out the external noise and to focus and to make the best of you know, the physical abilities he had, and I, I think you can say the same of Henderson, and and so. There was a 50 50 early in the second half where you just knew it wasn't actually 50 50. It was about a 75 25 in Henderson's favour because he's sharper and smarter and braver. And, and he got there first with Shelby. And then even the goal, you know, the ball pops out of that challenge. Whether it was a foul or not, I have to say, I've got no idea because the glare on the screen at uh, 7 meant I just couldn't see it. Categorically, It, not it didn't categorically feel like a foul when out. I saw it in front of not me. A but, foul. but Henderson's no, elite it got, got alertness and awareness to seize on that loose ball. And then play a really quick forward pass with exactly the right arc on it into Nabi Kater's run. And then Kater plays a little one-two and he's in the box and, and scores. And that's the sort of pass that, unless you're specifically looking at Jordan Henderson, I just don't think you notice him playing. But it's such a vital pass. And it, you know, you, I've seen a, you know, when people are talking about England and should they pick Rice and Henderson or, or Rice and Phillips, and people talk about how good Calvin Phillips is. And he is really good at it. It's it's his range of passing and getting the ball forward quickly and accurately. But Henderson's also really good at that. And I think England are really fortunate to have these sort of two slightly underrated, slightly undervalued players who are so good at passing the ball forward quickly and accurately and, and being able to sort of seize up a situation that quickly. So, I mean, yeah, I guess the story for Liverpool was they won while being able to rest loads of players. But it was also this story that's been going on for a decade there of Jordan Henderson doing things that people don't really notice that are absolutely vital to them.
1: The thing is, Robin, we're sort of it's good to have a title race. It's good that it will probably go down to the last game. But do you get the impression that they'll just both win all their matches and so it'll be a procession in which Manchester City are just a point ahead of Liverpool for the whole time?
3: I think so. This happened in, um, was it 2018-19? Is that, that one? Yeah, where they basically both... It was a similar points gap, I think, or maybe a little bit... But basically, it was one, it was one point. Like it was at City one point won by one point. They both just kept winning, didn't they? And it was actually really dull because <laughs> they no one ex- they they all won very, very comfortably, and in the end, Man City, just because they'd accumulated a few more points earlier in the season, they won the title. So yeah, and no, I can't I can't see either of them. They have both got so much control over games. And even though City won a bit more emphatically, never really worried about Liverpool. Um, the one thing I noticed about this one was Darren Fletcher on the BT commentary. They had a, a cutaway. If I said the name Declan Donnelly, would you know who that was?
2: In isolation,
3: yes. you do, because mm. I, I I thought that was. Um, I wondered how many people would know, because he kind of he's never called Declan Donnelly, is he? No, he's called so he, Andy Deck.
1: Ant, was Ant not there?
3: No, right. no. So I noticed at
1: the Spurs game they cut to Michael McIntyre, and I just wonder. Who actually cares? Like <laughs> it's nothing against either Deck or Michael McIntyre, right? But who watching? Who who who's actively gone? I really want to watch this football match. I'm interested in this football match. Suddenly goes, oh, Noel Gallagher's watching. Ma- of course, Noel Gallagher's watching Manchester City. Like who genuinely in the world goes? i tell you what's interesting about the Spurs game. It wasn't because we're getting onto it now. It wasn't how the impact that Kulisewski made. It was the fact that Michael McIntyre was there with, I think, his two children who looked really bored but also yeah. looked a bit like Michael McIntyre. <laughs> um, anyway, I wasted a lot of time on the fact he was at, at, at the game. Um, so in the race to the top four, it's kind of as you were. At two o'clock, Spurs played Leicester. They beat them. They weren't brilliant. At 4.30, Arsenal went to West Ham. They won. They weren't brilliant. The Spurs game, Wilson, I thought, I mean, Kumminson's second second goal uh, was just, and he's sort of done that goal before. Was just so brilliant. Uh,
2: yeah, this, this is the Barry question, isn't it? Uh, yes, it was.
1: <laughs>
2: yes, it was Barry. Yes, yeah. I mean, do you want to talk about Son at all? I mean, Miguel
1: Delaney saying Son Son has what is. Almost an underappreciated list of spectacular goals. I would have said he could even be a modern Matt Latissio. <laughs> <laughs> you know <what> I mean, <laughs> see in twenty years, what rabbit hole human winson will be going down oh, no. when the world has burned? What does it mean? It's very unlikely. I can't imagine human son will be the conspiracy theorist. You know, when we're all just living on—I don't know what we are—rafts, and we're all dead, and there'll be human winson going. See, it's nothing to nothing to see here. It's all fine. Anyway, carry on,
2: Wilson. Yeah, you know, he's. He's a brilliant player, and um, oh, yeah, I wonder whether, had it not been for the pandemic, whether he might have moved, but he hasn't, and that's obviously great for Spurs, and it's great that, that Kane stayed and they have that partnership, and, and I don't know, I, I, I feel for years we've talked about it as being Kane plus Son, and actually they probably deserve equal billing. Son is as good as Kane, for me. You know, we're
0: naturally attuned in this country to think of Harry Kane as this uns, unsurpassable, unparalleled talisman. The first thing is he wouldn't have got half the goals, you know, half as half as many goals as he had with if he hadn't had Son making all these sacrificial runs for him, setting up setting him up for all these, you know, uh, for all these goals. Uh, they do play well together. Son actually, uh, sorry, I think Son actually plays. He scores more goals, as you would expect, without Kane in the team than with, which is why, you know, if if Kane does end up leaving Spurs or if he had ended up leaving last summer, there are a lot worse things Spurs could do than to build their next team around Son, who, you know, even though he's uh, 30 soon, I think, uh, this year, has still got plenty of legs in him and I can do more things, I think, than Kane, weirdly. I mean, he, the goal that Son scored, that that second goal, Kane hasn't scored one of those goals for years. I mean, I, I think he scored one, I mean, I remember one against Huddersfield maybe a few years ago, but he he doesn't, he doesn't really do that so much anymore. But hang on, wasn't wasn't Harry Kane the best player in the world about three weeks ago? Yeah, and he, and he, he, well, first of all, you know, you, you could make an argument that Son is a more consistent player, but also, you know, they are, they are very different and they complement each other in different ways. And I don't think either of them would be anywhere near the player they are without the other. And so I think it, it is fair to give them equal billing.
1: Alfie says, how is a suffering Tottenham supporter supposed to cope in the eventuality that Arsenal, Chelsea and West Ham all get Champions League football next season. It is quite possible, isn't it? I mean because Arsenal won at West Ham, Robin they weren't brilliant, but you know and but they've got this wonderful set piece coach whose name I've already forgotten. Um <laughs> if he's still there and you know they won ugly, right? And you you have to do that and it feels like given that Spurs have to go to Liverpool, it feels like Arsenal are going to sneak fourth place, which would be a great achievement for them given after 3 games we were all laughing at them.
3: Yeah, well, that's the that's the thing, though, isn't it? Because you say that, I'm sure you're saying that in the sort of viewpoint of a sort of pessimistic Spurs fan. But Arsenal are more than capable of cocking this up. More than capable. I mean, it they was a great Spurs. win. Exactly. That's the game. That's the game, the North London derby. I mean, they, they were good, and it was a great win against West Ham. But what I would say is that West Ham had a right-back at left-back, a left-back at centre-half. Kurt Zouma, did not look fit at all. And obviously, you know, eyes on the big game on Thursday. So obviously an important win for Arsenal, but against a West Ham side who, you know, I think they mathematically now can't get in the top four after that. So they've only got one thing to play for.
1: There's this weird thing about some people getting annoyed when Arsenal players celebrate winning a football match. I've sort of missed this this bit of this narrative, Wilson. Have you seen this at all? Some people getting annoyed that Arsenal celebrate when they win and then Arsenal fans getting annoyed that people are annoyed that they've celebrated that they've won. Is this something we need to get involved with or just let them have this ridiculous debate?
2: Well, I, I, as ever, these things, they, I think it began with the game against Wolves when they held on with 10 men. Um and i think it was ruben neves was complaining about it and then you know just it happened again when they beat wolves and and, when they came back later on i I mean as ever with these incredibly futile footballing debates positions become absurdly polarized There, there clearly is such a thing as over celebrating something that's not worth celebrating and or celebrating too early and then looking really stupid when you fail in your objective but fundamentally why would you not celebrate winning? And and sports psychologists tell you that you should you should celebrate every goal and you should celebrate every wicket because you sort of build a momentum from that. So I'm sure Arsenal players and coaching staff and whatever don't think they nailed on for top four. Uh, it certainly doesn't seem to have been any any sort of complacency crept in. There's precious few opportunities to be happy in life. Take them. It's <laughs> beautiful. Uh, Thank
1: you Wilson yeah speaking of uh, um, opportunities to be happy Sam Dean in the Telegraph tweeting astonishing scenes <laughs> at the London Stadium where I've just seen a West Ham fan vomit on himself while walking on the concourse he didn't even slow down just strolled through his own trajectory oh, that's a wonderful state of that there is a man who is so content <laughs> and so happy. The only person I can think of that reminds me is a man who <laughs> shat himself on a train in Munich. Well, you know I mean? <laughs> I mean, that is, I do believe. I, I don't think. I think he did break stride. I'm to be honest. <laughs> when that happens anyway. Uh, I hope that man has washed his clothes, and that'll do for part two, uh, part three, uh, the rest of the Premier League, and uh, then any other business. Mm-hmm. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. On to games that mean nothing. Wolves nil, Brighton three. Uh, Bruno Large says this was the worst performance he'd seen at Wolves. And that he needs to recruit players with the right personality. I need to smell it if the guys want to continue to put the club at a different level. We're in eighth position. We try to do better to improve. We need to have a plan. We need to convince the right players with the right personality to increase the level of the team. Uh, On the radio with me yesterday, Barry was saying... He'd never seen a team so on the beach. You know, it was as if, you know, Romain Sice had bought out a windbreak, you know, and Connor Cody had literally had a, a beach ball and a bucket and spade and they were just laying towels. Like they were just absolutely not interested at all. John says, I know it's only an and Wolves lost to Brighton game, but can the panel explain how Brighton a fourth in the away league table? Not a thing. And 18th in the home league table? Still not a thing. That's quite a, that's quite a difference, Johnny, isn't it? It is,
0: yeah. I mean, I, I don't know what I, did, I, I didn't know that. Uh, that. That is news to me, and I'm, I'm very much reacting to this breaking news on the flight. It's a developing story. Uh, so, 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 so this is—it's
1: <laughs> developing. As <laughs> what,
0: what, what are you hearing? What are you hearing, Johnny? What do what do, you, what, what do you understand? Are you do you un, are you understanding something? Brighton's away. I mean, my my first—I <laughs> guess my first instinct, which to say, is something about the, the counter attack and Brighton like it. You know, the, the way they play, they they kind of like it when you know you have a little bit more space to, to play. But I i don't know that that could be total bollocks i i mean it's um i i will i will investigate further more on that as i um as i hear about it
1: yeah well more as we get it and and, and to be honest i think you've treated that not that <laughs> interesting stat on a game that really doesn't matter with
2: absolutely the right amount of disdain but do, do you do you do you think the issue is found that the Amex shouting shoot it could be that maybe graham potter had had, had a point maybe it is
1: but, you know, the players should know. I mean, doesn't don't every set of fans do that? I mean, every set of fans just don't like it when you...
2: Uh, not, not every set of fans are as bored as Brighton <laughs> that fans. That is scoring. true. Right. Okay, you're probably right.
1: Who are the most bored fans? That's quite a fun
2: uh, uh, topic to discuss. Southampton won Crystal Palace too. Well, it feels like Palace have had a really good season. It feels like Southampton, every time you look at them, are getting hammered. And yet Palace have just gone, just gone above Southampton only with that win. Is that not true? You look baffled. I just don't I, is that I, so boring? I just don't is that maybe it's it is. It's, broken well, you? I
1: I think what I think what's interesting about that sort of statistic is when, when you feel as ha- team has had a good season. It's a bit like Gerard and Villa, right? Because they started well. You sort of in your mind like Gerard's doing a good job at Villa and then that stat came out the other day that Frank Lampard has a better win percentage at Everton than Stephen Gerrard at Villa. I, I mean, don't know if it's true or not, but you know, something happened like that and you go, "Oh, yeah, Villa have lost five in a row or four in five or whatever, so they're not as good as they were five weeks ago. But I've made my mind up five weeks ago and now I have to change my view on this. And then and then ultimately you get to the stage where you shouldn't really talk about any of it until the season's finished. And then you look at the league table and you decide who's where.
0: But that would affect me professionally. The feeling matters more Actually, well, when you when you're in that kind of mid-table morass, it, it it really does matter how the season feels more than it matters whether you finish thirteenth or fifteenth or you know you have a Premier League merit payment of nine million or ten point eight or whatever because those are you know that's the sort of the feeling that you're going into the summer with as a fan or as a board when you have to make you know all these decisions. so it's a, so basically you should have a you should have a league table and a vibe league table yeah
2: I think I think I think it's
0: called the form guide but but yeah basically. Yeah, that kind of thing.
1: No, but so City are top of the league, but but Liverpool have got better vibes than City, haven't they? So, so Liverpool should win the Premier League. Chelsea shouldn't really be in the top. On vibes, Chelsea are definitely not in the top four. And Arsenal and Tottenham maybe are. Manchester United should be relegated, right? West Ham, you could probably p- push up about four places.
3: And Palace, as jo- Jonathan said, yeah.
1: New- Newcastle and Palace should be, you know, seventh and eighth. Leicester are above Palace, but should definitely be below them.
0: Uh, we'll work on I them. could not tell you where Leicester are. Leicester could be, any, in my mind, Leicester could be anywhere from about 8th to 15th. And it well, won't surprise me if you they're said. Within
1: that. They're within that. Uh, that's where they are. With, between 8th and 15th. Um, <laughs> let's talk about the WSL. More on that as I research it. <laughs> uh, Jonathan Liu there, uh, live uh, in his house. Um, uh, the WSL. Uh, Robin, you were at uh, Arsenal hammering Aston Villa. Uh, 7-0. So the title race is still alive, isn't it? You know, it looks like Chelsea will win the league, but at least Arsenal are pushing them.
3: Yeah, it's it's similar to the Premier League that all, both of them just keep winning and it looks like Chelsea is just going to win by a point. So yeah, it was, a, it was a hammering for Arsenal. Another couple of goals for Miedema. It was slightly bittersweet for them because Jordan Nobbs came on and then had to go off again. She's had knee issues in the past so that might affect her selection for the euro so really hope that she's okay and then later on um, Birmingham hosted Chelsea Birmingham I think they are going to go down if they lose midweek to Manchester City but they Chelsea made really hard work of that and they ended up getting quite a fortunate penalty so they won one nil um, against the bottom side so they just about scraped through that but because they did uh, it looks like, yeah, so it's the final day last week, uh, next weekend. Arsenal play midweek at the Emirates against Spurs, who uh, drew to all with Everton uh, yesterday. Um, so Spurs could, if they win, that means Chelsea win the title midweek, but otherwise it will go to the final day. Um, but yeah, both, both I think both will just win and Chelsea win the title for the third time in a row.
1: Spurs women are on a terrible run at the moment, aren't they? Um, the, the big story is Coventry United deducted 10 points in January, Um, secured safety in the championship with a free kick from 35 yards from Molly Green. What a hit that was.
3: Oh, incredible. And this is literally like a movie script from there. You know, they were, I think, kind of a couple of days away from liquidation, Coventry United. And then someone stepped in and saved them. They had to make up a 10-point deduction. And on the final day, they had to win. And in the final minute of the game, she scores a free kick from 30 yards. It's just incredible. I feel bad for Watford because obviously, yeah, not a great weekend <laughs> for them. Um, so they they go down, but, you know, absolutely incredible conclusion to a real emotional and up and down season for Coventry United. Uh,
1: Martin says, I mentioned for the 22,000 watching fourth tier women's football at St James's Park today. Um, yeah, it's incredible that, isn't it? We were talking about it before the pod. Constantly, every everything you discuss with Newcastle is sort of caveated with this conflict about the owners so what does this mean they're promoting women's football that's brilliant
0: years too late by the way years and years too late I mean they've been I think I think one of the last um men's premier league clubs to really you know take women's football seriously and uh always, you know, the, the excuse that you get, oh, there isn't an audience for it. There isn't, you know, there isn't a market for it, whatever. Uh, or, or, or sometimes, bizarrely, there, there aren't the resources for it. Uh, well, clearly there are now the resources for it. And clearly there is an audience for it. And, you know, fair enough, they are, they are now promoting it properly. But uh, let's not forget that for years and years, they had a chance to do so, but didn't.
1: So then the previous owners didn't do it and the current owners are doing it. So that's... A, yeah, I mean, I think thing,
0: that right? was one of the, you know, that was one of the, I think, one of the, the planks that... They are, uh, you know, of, of their their appeal, right? Of that that the, they were going to, you know, they were going to invest in the women's team. It was going to be part of the wider investment. So, you know, fair enough. Um, but but yeah, should have it should have happened a while ago.
1: It is interesting the the conflict though, isn't it? Because if you praise it, you're praising the current ownership, and you shouldn't praise the current ownership. But you do want more people to go and watch women's
0: football. So what? Yeah, what's I mean, conclusion? it's. Do do you, do you want me to do you want me to to laud the Saudi ownership of Newcastle? No 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 no, no. Of course I don't. Do you, but I do want people to is, go is and that, watch women's football. Hur- Howay the
1: Saudis!
0: <laughs> how how, how-, how- <laughs> the Saudi lads! Uh, I preferred and,
1: and, I prefer I preferred the Johnny Lou who's reporting on uninteresting statistics from,
3: <laughs> from Brighton's away for yeah Brighton's away for. <laughs>
1: Uh, In Scotland, Celtic drew one-on with Rangers at the top, which means they are six points clear with only three games remaining. Well done. Ange Postacoglu, everyone in Australia, loves this man. They effectively need three points from their remaining three games. We will get Ewan Murray on soon. He was due to come on uh, on Friday, but he was... Even too grumpy for you and Murray Grumpy at the airport. So we decided against it. Or he decided against it, if we're being honest, but hopefully he'll come on this Friday. Uh Real Madrid won La Liga. We're doing Champions League pods. We'll talk about Ancelotti, first manager to win the league title in all of Europe's five major leagues. Now look, if you watch no EFL and no championship football, uh, uh, and uh, but you should watch Bournemouth v Nottingham Forest on Tuesday night. Bournemouth are second on 82 points. Nottingham Forest third on 79 points. It's an absolutely enormous game uh, at the top of the championship. It was the final weekend in League One uh, as you've already established. Uh, Wilson, you're in the playoffs. You have Sheffield Wednesday in the playoffs. It should be a mid-90s relegation scrap football match but it is a League One playoff game.
2: Well, I don't think that ever happened actually. is a is that some of them had a very bad... Yeah, some of them were pretty bad mid-90s. I mean, they, they came up in, in 96 and went straight back down. So they must have played Wednesday in 96-7, but I don't remember them as being key relegation scraps. Uh, the, the big game I remember against Wednesday was uh, would have been the FA Cup in 93 when tobal uh, terrible Tony Norman error gave Mark Bright... Uh, uh, Tony
1: player. Norman looked about fifty-eight, didn't he? As a, uh, he looked about, and uh, looked sort of like a.
2: To- Tony Norman is, is, was a brilliant, brilliant goalkeeper uh, who had a mistake in him. Uh, he became a policeman after he he retired, and uh, you know, you know those interviews of who's the worst dressed man in the dressing room. Always Tony Norman. Always Tony Norman. <laughs> but his his son follows me on Twitter, um so I just want to make absolutely clear. I love Tony sure. Norman.
1: And you don't mind about his, sartorially, Tony can wear what he likes.
2: Yeah. Well, I also remember, it must have been, must have been 95-6 when he moved to Huddersfield. And I remember this game because, God, this is pathetic. I think it's the last time I hugged my dad. Oh. Um, so, uh, Sonner were 2-1 down to Huddersfield. Do you, do you remember Ben Thornley, from yeah. Manchester United Yeah, maybe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he was sent off at half-time for throwing the ball at the referee when he blew the half-time whistle. And something absolutely battered at Huddersfield. And Tony Norman, yeah, as I say, he'd moved to Huddersfield by then, had the game of his life. Um, and then Michael Bridges came off the bench and scored twice in the last 20 minutes. It was the first time I'd ever seen somebody younger than me score when it was 3-2. Ah, oh, the the emotion. Incredible. And I think it took something to 11 wins in a row, which has equaled a record going back to the 1890s. Sorry, I feel like, I feel like I'm like i therapy here. What? What? <laughs> How did that, how did that <laughs> affect,
1: you know, your relationship with your father?
2: Well, I think we were both quite happy we went home and probably had some soup and some Finnish Crispy pancakes. That's what we did in those days. <laughs>
1: I think I need to work on my psychotherapist game. Don't I? If that's the next answer that, that, that I elicit. We go straight to Finder's crispy pancakes. Thank you for your time. That'll be 200 pounds, please. Um, uh, 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 Julian relegated um, uh, their manager, Neil Harris, very angry in his post-match. Uh, press conference we're going to be in League 2 next season all of a sudden we're not going to be Gillingham Football Club with the biggest budget in League 2 it's not going to happen we have to compete and cut our cloth accordingly and get on with it that was be the challenge for me to put a squad together I've got seven players under contract those seven not all of them will be here under me not by choice anyway some will be gone there are a couple of players out of contract I'd like to keep players haven't been good enough uh, while we're on Gillingham, uh, and I shouldn't really promote other podcasts, but Joe Wilkinson, the comedian, is uh, uh, very funny and the Gillingham fan, he did a Quickly Kevin, which is very much worth your time because it is hilarious chat about supporting Gillingham, which is a team that, let's face it, gets no airtime anywhere. I think it is when you ask what club are you most indifferent to, the answers are Gillingham and Reading for
2: everybody. So uh, uh, Gillingham relegated Sunderland in 1987, never really forgiven them.
1: Okay. Let's talk about you wanted to talk about um Wilson Avika Osim Have I pronounced that correctly.
2: Yeah, Victor Osim who 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 died yesterday. Um uh, I mean, he'd been he had a stroke in 2007 when he was Japan national team manager and he's been in pretty poor health since. But I think I mean, he's hugely popular in Japan to to the extent that a, a, a book of his of, of quotes of him in from post match press conferences sold 400,000 copies. And, uh, yeah, for years after he'd retired and was back living in Sarajevo, Japanese journalists would, would go to speak to him. And he's just one of those... I mean, he he was a very good player, a very elegant forward, great dribbler. Played when Yugoslavia beat England in the semi-final of the 68 Euros, the um, game when Alan Mullery became the first Englishman ever to be sent off. Uh, had a successful playing career in, in France as well. Um, but just one of those great Yugoslav coaches who who travelled the world So he was very successful with with Strom Graz in the late 90s. So People might remember him from Champions League games then. Um, I think he won two Austrian Bundesliga titles. He was coach of Yugoslavia of the 1990 World Cup when uh, tensions were ratcheting up. And he ended up uh, resigning in 92 after they couldn't go to the Euros. And I think the most moving interview I've ever done, I went to see him in 2009. He he was very ill even then. Um, And he sort of went to his flat and his wife said, oh, look, he's, he's not great, kind of. Do you, do you mind just going down to the cafe in the square and you'll come down if you can?" And he sort of shuffles out an hour later and for three hours he just talks. And he's very, very funny. Yeah, Has very big opinions about a lot of things, but he, he was listening to somebody caught up in the Yugoslav conflict in the sense that his life his his life in coaching was kind of ruined by that. Like clearly, it's, that's in no sense yeah, a major consequence of the war. And just how it affected him personally, and, and having to deal with different nationalities in the squad, and the other game against Argentina when they lost in the quarterfinal on penalties, when they held on with ten men from after um, Subnajdovic sent off for half an hour, and Sasha Katana didn't play in that game because his parents had been threatened because uh, of the forthcoming war. So he was he was a he did a lot to hold Yugoslav football together in the early nineties, and was just yeah he was he's one of the one of the great Balkan coaches from a great era of Balkan coaches. Uh, Mino
1: Raiola has passed away uh, at the age of 54 he represented Paul Pogba Erling Braut Haaland one of the is he one of the first super agents Uh, interesting reading uh, Fabrizio Romano in the Guardian saying Raiola was a man of jokes fierce attacks regular clashes with public opinion and clubs but he also built excellent relationships in football and life and always had one goal the best possible strategy for his clients and himself that was Mino Raiola not a saint but certainly a game changer I wonder what his impact on football is Johnny and and you know my immediate reaction about suit is, is to not like super agents you know, obviously you know that that doesn't mean you don't want them to exist and we send our uh you know our, our thoughts to his friends and family is his impact good or bad or or should we accept the fact that as Fabrizio Romano said there you know he was an agent for players, and he got great deals for players.
0: Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of people saw him as, you know, saw Raiola and, and I guess other other agents like like Harvey and and, um, and, and and George Mendes as, as kind of as the devil, as, as sort of the the festering wound on the game, and and, and really, I, I've always, I also always saw Raiola as as kind of the natural consequence of the way the game had gone. You know, he was really kind of saying in public. What everybody was saying, you know, you know, that what everyone knew the game to be like in private. It, it is cynical. That it is kind of avaricious. It is give, driven by greed and ego and headlines, and essentially making as bigger a split. You know, being a hype man for 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 your for your club or your team, or, or in his case, your player. And, and he just kind of, I don't know, he sort of stripped away all the all the, the bullshit that the game likes to the nice wrapping that the game likes to dress itself up in. And he was the one who saw the game as it actually was to the to the and, and to the extent that you know you couldn't really even even when people said he was he was dead he was he came off his deathbed and said i am actually not dead causing one i think one one twitter user to say uh, he actually negotiated a buyback clause with death yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway
1: uh, that'll do for uh, enough today uh Jonathan wilson thank you so much <laughs> cheers Thank you thank you robin cowan thanks max Thanks, Johnny Lou. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, for Weekly, was produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Danielle Stevens.
0: This is The Guardian.